So um, I want to give you a, snap sh a snapshot of what we're going to be doing. We're going to be uh, doing the, um, continuing the Heal series today. And then I start a sort of a, a new series within a series. You guys like how we do that around here? A dream within a dream, right? And uh, we're going to start that next Sunday. And it's going to be um, called Feel, and it's going to be on redeeming emotion. There's a lot that I want to talk to you guys, guys and girls, about when it comes to how Christians view the topic of emotion. I think many of us have it all wrong. And so we're going to look at that and how God um, <clears throat> can use that to sanctify us and grow us in Christ's likeness. That will start next Sunday. And then um, once we push past December and into January, we're going to do another um, series called Ask Anything. This is where you guys get to ask questions. And we set up an entire 10-week series based on the questions that you guys throw at us. And so we'll be taking some of those questions um, next month and having you guys vote on those questions as, as far as a top 10 uh, for Ask Anything. So that'll be happening in January. Um, that's one of my favorite series because we get to really dive deep into the things you're thinking about, things you're wrestling through. And so be thinking about what questions you've got, um, things you want us to address on this stage. And the last one I thought was you guys asked some great questions. And so um, that was like two years ago, believe it or not. So my goal is to do one every two years. So if you're a high schooler here, then you get about two of those every, um, about two of those for your entire high school uh, time here with us at TBC. So that'll start in January. Um, so today we are going to be um, expounding on a topic that we touched on about two weeks ago. We touched on a topic at the end of one of our sermons. We touched on the idea of what it means to walk by the Spirit in Galatians 5. So go ahead and turn to Galatians 5. And we're going to look at um, verse 16, I believe. 16 and 17. And the reason why I want to unpack this a bit more is because I kind of left you hanging. I think last time we talked about this, I had said some things about it but I don't think we really unpacked it the way I want to unpack it today. And so we're going to spend most of our time talking about what does it mean to walk by the Spirit as a Christian? Because I know that um, many of you, you attempt all kinds of ways of trying to change yourself. Like every Christian has like an attempt of, of how they try to change. Once they become a Christian, they've got ways in which they, they try to attempt change in their own power, their own strength. And so, go to my first slide. I want to show you just the ways in which you guys attempt this. I, I covered this, um, I think, about two weeks ago. One of the ways that you and I try to change so often is, the first one is the just say no method. Every Christian just tries this to some extent, right? Just say no to sin. If you're struggling with this, well, just say no to whatever that thing is. Um, about maybe 15, 20 years ago, there was a big campaign, and it, whenever drugs were, like, getting really, really badly for our country, um, they started this Just Say No campaign. So every commercial on TV was um, Just Say No. Just Say No to Drugs. I mean, now we just legalize stuff. But back then, it was like a fight, you know. <laughs> back then, there was a fight for like, hey, Just Say No. Drugs are probably a bad idea. You know, now it's like, hey, hey, whatever. Move to Colorado, wherever. You know, go to where you have to go to do your stuff, right? And so there was an issue with drugs back then. And so people would say, Just Say No. That's how they approach things. I think so often, Christians try the same thing with certain kinds of sin, don't we? Just say no. You struggle with this? Well, just say no to whatever that thing is. Well, the problem with the just say no method is that um, it doesn't cut deep enough. It doesn't address the deeper issues, the hard issues, the desires of 
Okay, why do I want to go and do that, whatever that is? It, it never addresses, it just addresses the surface level stuff. It doesn't cut deep enough. And so just saying no doesn't go deep enough and doesn't address your internal desires as to why you do those things. The second way in which you and I try to change so often is the just work hard method. And again, this one never works either because all it does is if you succeed, let's say, let's say you struggle with whatever it is, and then most Christians will think to themselves, okay, I've got to fix this. And so they, they start to think, well, I've got to get a plan. I've got to start um, you know, doing this and stop doing this. I've got to put my plan together step by step. And then what happens is, with the just work hard method, is that if you succeed at it, you feel prideful. If you succeed at it, you feel like, yeah, look what I did. You start patting yourself on the back because of what you accomplished, because of your plan. And if you fail at your plan, watch this. If, if you fail at your plan, here's what happens. You feel destroyed, right? You feel like a total and utter failure because all you've been doing is been putting your own strength, your own efforts into this process of spiritual growth. And if it's successful, it leads to pride. If it fails, then it leads to you feeling destroyed and a feeling of despair. And so it's a lose-lose situation with the just work hard method. And the third way that I think you and I try to change is the just let it happen method. This is probably the one that many of us do, right? We just kind of um, think to ourselves, well, you know, if, if God wants me to change in this area of my life, then he's going to have to do all the work, so to speak. And that does sound correct, does sound spiritual. It sounds godly. It's sort of the let go and let God method. But what happens so often is that your action plan looks like you sitting on the couch doing nothing, right? What happens is that you just kind of are too passive and you put yourself in situations that are compromising. There, there's no intentionality on your part. There's no plan. There's no um, desire. There's no way in which you are trying to see God grow you. And so the just let it happen method is too passive for us to truly grow. And so Galatians 5, I think, is, listen, I have been just captivated by this, this short little passage for a couple of years now, just trying to figure out what does it mean to walk by the Spirit. I think Galatians 5 shows us a different way. It shows us a fourth way in which we can change. In Galatians 5, it's called walking by the Spirit. And so today I want to let you just see what this looks like, I think, for our lives. So look at verse 16. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So I want to unpack this. Whenever the Bible uses a phrase or a word, um, I don't want you to gloss over it. I want you to really, truly understand what it means. So when the, when the Bible uses the word like walk, now you guys are used to that word, like walking by the Spirit or walking as a Christian. So you're not used to like taking a word like that and really unpacking what that means. When the Bible uses the word walk, when Paul uses the word walk, what does he mean when he says that? 
when God uses that word in the Bible, what is, what's the significance of that analogy, walk? To walk by the Spirit. So I want to have you see this this morning. Um, well, think about walking. So just really simply, what is walking? Very simply, it is okay, putting one foot in front of the other for a long period of time. I'm being very basic right now, I know, but I want you to see this. It's very important for the walk, for the walk as a Christian. Putting one foot in front, in front of the other for a long period of time. This is what it means to walk as a Christian, right? There's no quick fixes. There's no, there, there's, there's, ne- there's never just this like flash of change in the Christian life. The Christian life is is a long, long journey, and it can be really, really slow. And so, as you think about this idea of walk, sometimes your feet are going to kill you. Sometimes your feet are going to be throbbing in pain. Sometimes it's going to be boring. Sometimes the scenery is not going to change all that quickly. I picture one of those, you guys have seen those pictures of highways, like out in West Texas, where the highway goes on forever and ever and ever, and there's like a mountain in the distance, those desert oases. And, and when you look at those pictures, you can imagine that that mountain looks like it could be 15 miles away, but sometimes it's like 50 miles away. If you walk down that road, you could spend maybe two, three days walking that highway and then finally reach that mountain. And in a way, that's kind of how the Christian life is is that it's a slow process. The scenery doesn't always change all that quickly, right? It, it's a slow process for many of us. And it can be boring and your feet can kill you. Your feet can hurt as a result of it. Um, another idea, idea that comes from this idea of walk. So if Paul's trying to communicate this idea that the growth as a Christian happens and the picture he's using is the walking picture, what does that mean for someone who becomes a brand new believer? What do little toddlers do when they first learn how to walk? What do they do? They fall a lot. And it can be pretty hilarious to watch, right? And I can think of my own, my own son. Um, he would run down the hallway. We had carpet in the hallway back then, so it was less dangerous than it is now. We have hardwood there now in the, in the hallway. But he um, would run down the hallway and just collapse and, like, just bite it. Hit the wall and just spin and just some glorious accidents would happen in that hallway when he was a, a small child. Make me laugh a lot. And so what do they do? They fall a lot. And so when you're a brand new Christian, what do you do? You fall a lot. You fall a lot. And so here's what happens. You put those new Christians in with more mature Christians. The more mature Christ- Christians will tend to, I don't know, look down upon those that are brand new Christians and judge them for their life and say, yeah, they, they seem to be like out of sorts. Like I'm not sure where they're at in their faith. Well, I want to remind you that maybe they're a new Christian. Maybe they're a new believer. Maybe they're falling more right now because they're brand new at this. And so you get the picture of this idea of walk, what it means to walk. This is a very, I think, significant way for us to look at the Christian life. It also means that when you're walking, you are going in a purposeful direction, right? Many of us live our lives as Christians just with with aimless, no goal, no purpose. And so the idea of walk is that you're going in a direction. 
You're going in a direction with the Holy Spirit as your guide. So I want to show you how this idea of walk by the Spirit, um, this totally goes against, we talked about the just let it happen method of change, spiritual change. Walk by the Spirit totally goes against that, that way of change because um, walking by the Spirit does require some intention on your part. You can't just sit idly by and be like, okay, God's going to do his thing magically in me and I'm just going to sit around and not do anything. Walk by the Spirit implies that there's some intention on your part as you walk. Walk by the Spirit also goes against the just work hard method. Because whose power are you being given in order to have this walk? It's walking by the Spirit. So it's not just, hey, I'm going to get my plan together and my plan is going to be successful for spiritual change. It's not just that because... If that's all you do, again, it leads to pride or it leads to despair based on your success or your failure. Walking by the Spirit, there's an acknowledgement that the Spirit has empowered me. God has empowered me to change. God has given me life-transforming power to change. And any change I see is going to be His credit, not mine. Any, any change I see in me is going to be for His glory, not my own glory. This is what it means to walk by the Spirit. I've got a definition for you. On this. If you write things down, write this down. To walk by the Spirit, if you get on my next slide, to walk by the Spirit means making decisions and choices according to the Holy Spirit's guidance and acting with the spiritual power that the Spirit supplies. So it's to make decisions. So you see two things here. Yeah, walking by the Spirit implies that you're going to have to make some hard choices, make some decisions, but at the same time, those things are going to be spirit-empowered. So you can't glorify yourself if those things are successful. I've heard another pastor say, call this grace-driven effort. So in the Christian life, um, if you put, you're putting forth intention and effort in your spiritual growth, but when those things succeed, you don't get to take credit for that because it's grace-driven. Even the ability that God has given you to do those things is only by his grace, only by his mercy on your life. And so we can't take credit for those things. And, and I also want to let you know uh, this morning, too, that it's also not just the just-say-no method because, again, that never deals with the heart motives for sin. And so I've been trying to, in my head wrap my mind around this analogy, I've been asking God to give me a picture of what this means, like what this looks like in life. Because I know whenever we talk about concepts like walk by the Spirit, that many of us, we kind of get it, we kind of understand it, but it's hard for our minds to really grab a hold of a concept that sounds so vague as walk by the Spirit, right? And so I've been thinking through this analogy. I'm trying to make sure I say it the correct way today, so bear with me. But many of you know, I've got, I've got a seven-year-old and I've got a four-year-old. And um, I'm just going to warn you before you guys head down the, um, the marriage path and having kids path, that, um, that getting two little kids just to finish a meal is a project, okay? And so with my two kids, here's what they normally do. Like around 4.30, 5 o'clock, they start saying, like, I want a snack. I'm hungry. I want a snack. 
And I'm in that dilemma of like, well, do I give them a snack right now and then give them dinner like in an hour? Or should we just eat dinner at 4.30? Like, what should I do in this situation? And so very often I'll give them like a small snack and they'll wait till like 5.30, 6 o'clock for dinner. But what happens at dinner, it's the funniest thing, they're begging me to feed. They're like, Daddy, we're so hungry. Give us some food. Give us some food. So I finally get the dinner together. I put them at the table. Their drinks are ready. Their dinner is ready. And it's now time to eat. And guess what they do? What do they do? They don't eat. They do everything except eat. It's, they start coloring with their little crayons. They start getting out a book to read. They start running around. Sienna goes and tries on princess dresses. Okay? Um, she thinks that she's a mermaid or a princess based on whatever day it is. And so this is what my kids do. It's like, no matter what I do to set them up for their dinner, it's like, they just will not eat. And so I go into this, like, grouch mode where I'm like, sit down, eat your food, get back in here, right? And I go down that road, and I, wanna, I want you to know this morning that here's what I've noticed, though, when I, when I do that kind of, when I approach it kind of, like, very gruff and grouchy and just, you know, get in here, finish your food, and I'm just kind of cracking the whip. I don't really have a whip. Don't worry. I'm just saying that, like, figuratively speaking, I kind of crack the whip and say, like, look, you know, let's, let's eat, let's finish our food. So what always happens with, with them when I go that route is like more disobedience, more rebellion, and that's the direction they go. So that, that method never seems to work where I just kind of come down hard and just bring the hammer. I also don't have a hammer, don't worry. So, you know, just speaking figuratively this morning. But, but when I come at them with, with that attitude, it never seems to go well. So recently I tried something different. Here's what I tried. I just thought, you know what, they need to be engaged in some other way. And so now what I try is something totally different. Now what I try is, instead of coming at them totally negative like that, I now try to engage them in some other way. And so what I do is, I might pull out a book and say, hey, while you're eating, I'm going to read this story to you guys. Now they're like, oh, okay, cool, that's great. And they start eating their dinner while I'm reading them the story. Or I start asking them questions about their day. It's like I find some other way to engage them while they are supposed to be obeying me. And what happens, watch this. What I discovered is that it's like when they get caught up in this other story. When they get caught up in this other thing that's bigger than just the disobedience. It's like somehow they start obeying while they're also being caught up in this other story that I put before them. And so I say all that because I want you to know that that's kind of what it means to walk in the Spirit. So most of you just focus your efforts on stopping your sin. That's where you focus your efforts on as a Christian for many of you. But what God wants for you is to be caught up in something bigger, walking by the Spirit. And what's going to happen is, when you do that, you're caught up in a bigger story, caught up in something bigger than yourself, caught up in something bigger than just your disobedience or your obedience. What happens, though, is you find yourself living out obedience while you're being caught up in this walk by the Spirit. Does this make sense to you? And so this is the kind of thing I think God wants to do in your lives as a result of walking by the Spirit. And so you and I can't just focus on avoiding sin. Like, you and I have to learn how to walk by the Spirit. And I would just, I would, I would tell it to you this way. If you just try to avoid sin in your life, 
there will be no heart change. And the change that you do experience is not going to last. It's just not going to last. I want you to go back and look at verse 17 in uh, Galatians 5. Galatians 5, 17, it says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now I want you to focus on one word in verse 17, and it's the word want. Here's what's crazy about this verse 17. He just told us that the flesh and the spirit like war against each other. And then he says, as a result of this warring against, like the spirit and the flesh do battle with each other in our minds and souls, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Did you catch this? What he just said. It doesn't say to keep you from doing what you have to do or to keep you from doing what you're supposed to do. It says to keep you from doing the things you want to do as a Christian. So here's what it implies is that when you become a Christian, even your desires change. Your deepest desires change. Okay, I I want you to see how this works out in our lives. Um, When I was in... in, uh, when I was in seminary, I went to Dallas Seminary, which is in Dallas, and, uh, and there was a guy who came and preached to us for a, um, a week-long series at the campus. We had chapel services every, um, every day, and uh, there was a guy named Dwight Edwards. I want to put his picture up on the screen here, and, um, and this is Dwight Edwards, and he was a pastor. Any Aggies in the room? Aggies? Okay, so he was a pastor in College Station. And at a church called Grace Bible or Grace something church, I forget the exact name of it. And he was there for a long, long time. And he preached these four weeks at at Dallas Seminary when I was on campus there. And he he said this one sermon that kind of like moved the earth in my life. Like he really kind of helped shape me and and how I look at, at spiritual growth that week in that sermon series. And what he said was, he said, listen, he said, there is, as a Christian, there is what the Christian wants like in your flesh, and there's what the Christian really wants, deeper desires in the spirit. What he meant by that was, I'll give you an example of what he meant. He basically looked at the idea of like, let's just take something like lust, okay? So we can all agree that as humans, we all struggle with that on some level. There is this thing in us that is just, um, that can be led astray in that area of our life. We all agree with that. But that's kind of a surface desire, But he would say that his deeper desire as a man, as a Christian, is to come home from work, knowing he's been faithful to his wife, look her in the eye, knowing that he's he's been pure, he's he's not been um, cheating on her, and so on. And so there's this deeper desire that's at work in the Christian that says, I want to honor God, I want to glorify God, I want to obey God. And there's these two desires at work in the Christian, there's the surface level, superficial things. There's also the deeper desires of the Christian as well. It's what you want versus what you really want as a Christian. Now, the odd thing about this guy, I'll tell you his story in just a minute, but he's actually related to um, this next guy. And I love this next picture. Isn't that a great picture of an old dude? So Jonathan Edwards from like the 1700s, Dwight Edwards is like seven generations later, great, great, whatever, grandson from Jonathan Edwards, who's like one of the 
biggest well-known theologians of our entire, in our entire, like, uh, in, in the U.S. Um, way back about 300 years ago. And so this guy comes from, like, this sort of chain of, of pastors. But go back to Dwight's picture for a second here. I want to show you this. Um, about a year and a half after he preached that message at my school, he left his wife. He cheated on his wife, and he left her, and left the church in College Station in complete disarray. Now, it's recovered nicely since then. But I thought it was interesting that a guy said it that way. There's what the Christian wants, and there's what the Christian really wants. And really helped me understand this verse in a profound way. And yet a year and a half later, he followed after what his fleshly desires wanted. And not what he really wanted as a Christian, which is to be faithful to his wife. It's kind of a tragic story. But this is what happens when you choose to live in the flesh instead of walking by the Spirit. So um, I want to do some, some discussion here in the middle of the talk. So I want you guys to do uh, questions one to three at your tables. Um, if you have those discussion sheets, go ahead and do questions. Just one through three at your tables for a few minutes. Okay, I've got two more passages for you. We're going to go through very quickly. And you'll have some more discussion here in a moment um, as, we, as we wrap up. I know it's late, so I'm going to move quickly on this. So turn to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Hebrews 13, verse 7. And so what I want to show you now is that um, walking in the Spirit is going to be impossible without saturating your life, number one, in God's Word but also surrounding yourself with other people, leaders, and, and others to show you how to live it out. So this walking by the Spirit might sound like a good idea, but it's going to be impossible unless you live a life saturated in the Scriptures and surrounded by other believers, leaders, other peers that are showing you how to live that thing out. So look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Here's what it says. It says, remember your leaders... Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Just very quickly, I want all my leaders to stand up. Interns, volunteers, go ahead and stand up where you're at so I can see faces. And y'all can, you guys can stay standing for a minute. So we're missing actually quite a few that are in the, not in the room this morning, but um, I want you to look at our leaders, and um, our leaders are not just here just to tell you what to think or to tell you what to believe. They are here to show you how to live. They are here to be imitated. Each person that's standing up right now, um, I trust their character, I trust where they're at with Christ, and they're being put in your life not just to dispense information to you. Do you get that? Like They're not here just to give you some knowledge, give you some information. They're here to be an example for you so that we can say, hey, look, you see how Jonathan is walking as a, how old are you, Jonathan? 23. 23. As a 23-year-old, I want you to be walking like him when you're 23. When you look at Chris, I'm not going to ask Chris how old he is, but when you look at Chris and I can say, um, I want you to be walking the way that he's walking when you're whatever age Chris is. 
right? And so I want, 27, right. And, uh, and so when you look at their lives, I want to point you to them and say, look, imitate the way in which they are following Christ. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. So this verse says, listen, this verse says, look at the outcome of their life. I'm just going to give you a warning real quick. If someone's life is a train wreck, don't follow them. It's a good rule of thumb. If someone's life is a train wreck, don't follow them. They might say they know Christ. They might say they know how to follow Christ, but their life proves otherwise. So don't follow that person if their life is a complete train wreck. What I want each one of you guys to do, listen, is each one of you need to think about um, like a 10 to 15 year window down the road. So what you should be doing right now is finding people that are about 10 years, 15 years down the road from where you are, and they're walking with Jesus in the same way that you want to be walking with Jesus at their stage of life. And get around those people. Surround yourself with them. Ask them lots and lots of questions. They are an example for you of what it means to walk by the Spirit and to show you how to live it out for your life. Get around people like that. My hope is that you find some of those people here in this room. Um, it also says imitate their faith. That means we don't just, you know, in our culture we like to imitate people. We like to dress like they dress, um, copy their personality, copy their sense of humor, um, body image. We like to copy people, but so rarely do we like to imitate and copy someone else's faith. And so get around those kinds of people and, and imitate their faith. And so I'm going to stop right there because we're out of time. And you guys can discuss your last three questions at your tables. Go ahead and discuss. Fourth or six. <clears throat>